No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People the Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael G. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, my co-host Maria Sanchez, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So you should feel free to call in and be part of the conversation at 888-627-6008. We have a guest tonight. Uh, She hasn't quite shown up yet, so let me introduce my co-host and uh, 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 partner in crime, uh, uh, Maria Sanchez. Maria, how are you? I'm doing as well as can be expected, Michael. Thank yeah. you. I just have to honor the passing of my mother last, late last Saturday night, so a week ago yesterday. And she was going to be 89, so she lived a beautiful, lovely, amazing life. And she passed away unexpectedly and swiftly, which I think we could all wish for. So farewell mama but she got reunited with my father after four years and i know that made him happy and tell me something cool about her maria what did she do who was she you know she was ninth of 10 children raised on a farm did not speak english until she went to the first grade and became a medical technologist and that's how she met my dad was in the hospital that she ran at the age of 20 years old. Wow. Um, and so she defied all kinds of odds and logistics coming from her real rural, very, very, I wouldn't say impoverished because they were rich in food and livestock. Um, but none of them spoke English. They had an outhouse that had three seats in it. And that was um, the extent of their plumbing, if you will. And we used to go and visit every year to because her grand her mother our grandmother was alive until I was sixteen, so we got to see what that was like. And then my dad showed her this life <laughs> of luxury. <laughs> and where was she from? Uh, uh, she was from uh, outside of Albuquerque in New Mexico, uh, which is the only state to have two languages that are sanctioned. Um, so that's why when they went to school, they had to speak English. And on the playground, if you spoke Spanish you got reported because there were classmates that were designated like cops, if you will, because we're Americans, we speak English. So we grew up not speaking Spanish because of that. She, she said she experienced such prejudice growing up that she didn't want to wish that on her children. So unfortunately, while I understand almost everything, I'm a little halting with what I speak. So I don't call myself bilingual at all, but Sanchez is her name. Well, you know, I, I, we had the same experience. My grandmother, mm-hmm. who was who emigrated to the United States as a teenager, had blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. So she, even though she was Italian, I guess you would say she passed. She, she was Northern say, Italian, obviously. She was Northern Italian, and she would not even allow Italian to be spoken in the home. My yeah. grandfather, who spoke four or five languages fluently, the only one he wasn't very good at was English. And she wouldn't. She wouldn't talk to him if he spoke Italian. She would and say, my grandparents I'm, "I'm an American. Never, Speak English. Yeah, I'm an American. That's how we I don't understand you." Yeah. But my uh, mom's parents never spoke English. They only spoke Spanish. That yeah. was that was it. But yeah. they did. My grandfather had a fourth grade education, but he raised ten children, and they all went to college. If you can believe that. Um, and if they needed anything that that they couldn't raise or slaughter, he would barter. So shoes, for example, or some clothing that her mom couldn't make, he would barter for that, including her tuition. She went to the University of New Mexico. Um, so quite the life. I, I, I used to say that, like, I, I feel like I'm truly, uh, you know, a daughter of immigrants because my dad's parents came through Ellis Island. 
So we grew up that if you can't pay cash for it, you can't afford it. Right. <laughs> and that included my education. They said, you can't go to Stanford or Harvard because we can't afford that. But right. you can go to the University of California because we can afford that. Well, and you know what? Again, there's a similarity with my background. You know, I dropped out of high school and people have asked me, uh, what was it that motivated you to get back into school and go to college and go to graduate school? And I said, well, what motivated me was that everybody in my family made it clear that you were not going to be successful without an education. Mm -hmm. That was expected of you. And, and if I had won the lottery and I had won $10 million, the first thing my grandmother would have said to me is, great, now you can go back to school <laughs> and get, and get education. an education. Right. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about working. You can go back to school and get an education. <laughs> so, you know, we had those expectations. Uh, they had those expectations because that's the way you made it in America. Right. It wasn't if you're going to college, where are you going right. to college? Exactly. And when I graduate in January, I'm going to be the first PhD on either side of the family. And I only wish my mom had hung on long enough to see that because yeah. she had the date on her calendar. It's going to be yeah. in Santa Barbara. She's in San Diego. And she, she I, I don't know what she would have done. She probably would have been sobbing so loudly that the well, ceremony would have and, and she knew you were gonna, she knew you were going to get there, you know. And, and yeah, that's... Uh, um, that's quite an accomplishment and you've been on quite a journey, but, but, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So oh, thank you. I don't, thank you. I, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, but, but those values have changed, you know, my kids, all who have college educations are, are pissed about it. They're pissed about it because they can't find decent jobs. Not everybody yeah. get a, a decent job, you know, things have changed. I tell them, I found my first job at a college in a newspaper mm -hmm. and they're astounded by that, mm -hmm. you know, that I looked up and I had, you know, remember the one I do, I do. Yeah. Sure and I do. found a law firm that, you know, that needed somebody and, 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 and I responded and got the job. It's, uh, uh, today they just, you just don't do that anymore. And, and, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy out there. Uh, well, we, we were expecting to have Ife Williams uh, on our show tonight. Uh, I, I don't know. Something might have gotten wrong with Miss Williams. We hope she's all right. Uh, but uh, And as I mentioned prior, I interviewed her. In fact, I got my notes out on October 27th, 2018, because one of my segments with my PhD studies was social activism and who better than Dick Gregory. And not only was she his, uh, his attorney, but they were personal friends. They would talk yeah. almost every day. They would walk almost every day. Yeah. One of the stories, the anecdotes that she shared with me is that they had uh, posters for protests in the trunk of their car at all times, because depending on what rally or march was going on, they would just peck out the requisite poster that matched for that cause and then get in line and, and you know, do their thing. Yeah. Of course, all in the District of Columbia. But that was because of the play Turn Me Loose, which is how I met her, which is a DC for Statehood event. Maybe you could tell our listeners about what that was about, because it was a play about Dick Gregory. Right. It was a play about his life. So we bought a hundred tickets and we had a reception because we just happened to have the play on the first anniversary of his birthday after he had passed. Terrific. So this was his first birthday. So we threw him a birthday party mm -hmm. uh, and we had the play and we were involved with his family. His family was, was part of the whole process. His son, Christian has been on the show. Uh, his daughter, Ayana, who's got a beautiful voice, uh, mm -hmm. follows in his footsteps using her her talent for, for activism as well. So she was somebody I knew, and they were all involved. And we threw him a party, and 100 people came, and it was great. And uh, it was such a good event that we have just purchased uh, 100 more tickets to a musical, you're going to have to come to this, uh, Maria, Tell next me. year at Arena Stage. They're doing a musical on the life of Frederick Douglass. Really? So, yeah. So we oh, and I love that theater. The theater yeah, is so... Yeah. There's not a bad seat in the house. Yeah, it's a pretty neat theater. And they're, and they're going to do this 
This is a brand new play. Some of the people involved are just amazing. The people that have written the music and stuff. And it's on the life of Frederick Douglass. So, and for those of you who, who, who may not know, uh, Douglas fought hard for equal rights in the District of Columbia, among the many other things that he voted, that he fought for. So uh, we consider him a, 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 a D.C. statehood advocate. He made he made a, a, a comment that we use constantly. Uh, I'm in the middle of writing something and, and, and I'm using it. And it is that power can seize nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. Mm -hmm. And uh, we use that constantly in our, our in our quest for DC statehood. Um, so and uh, Dick Gregory was a DC for statehood. Oh my advocate. God! Such and, and and I've just got. I don't want to digress too much here, but I got to tell you about my experience. The, my first encounter with Dick Gregory, I was about 23, 24 years old, and he came to my little white college and he did his stand up and his and his social justice kind of stand up and 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 he he had us laughing so hard we couldn't breathe mm -hmm. i mean i remember you know we just we he just got such a reception nobody knew who this guy was you know this he was brand new i'm not sure that he'd been on jack parr's show yet or anything and and we listened to him and, uh, you know, this was almost 50 years ago and, 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 and he was just hysterical. And then when we left, we all started to think about the things that he said. And that was the thing. This was his gift. He used his comedy to get your attention, but he left you with a message. Everything he said was something relevant. And, uh, so I was just blown away by that. And then Coincidentally, 15 years later, maybe, he shows up at a commencement for a friend of mine. I had a friend, my dear, one of my dearest friends, got a degree in nutrition. She was, she was a registered dietitian. And at the time, he was doing this thing called the Baham Bahamian diet. Mm -hmm. And he was very much into nutrition. The guy was skinny as a rail. He was very into nutrition. And he came to the commencement. He didn't, I'm not even sure he spoke. I think he just came, you know, to support somebody. And, you know, and of course I went up and talked to him because I had seen him years before and he was very polite. And then I got elected. And once I got elected and I started working on statehood, every time I would see him, he would embrace me. He would sit and talk to me and Aww. ask me what we were doing and tell me what a great job. He was such a gracious guy. I, I just can't get over it. And then, of course, last year I planned or 2019, it was actually we planned this thing for his birthday. And I got to work with his children who were every bit as gracious as he yeah. was. And, and, and he also had like 10 children. Yes. Sure. How much he had. But he had a yeah, he had a whole boatload uh, of them. And, uh, you know, he used to tell this f funny story about his daughter, Ayana, who who really is an amazing professional singer. And he'd say his wife would say, Ayana can sing. And he would say, that's so sweet. You know, but uh, the rule, he said, in, in, in a black family is when dad's home and he's taking his nap, you don't make any noise. He goes, well, I, he never heard her sing. And then one day, and he thought she was, he was say, his wife was saying, oh, she sings, isn't that sweet? You know, oh, that's nice, you know. But then the first time he saw her, he went, damn, the girl can <laughs> sing, you know. And, and, you know, he was just, he always told the truth, too. This is just an amazing thing. We had a, we had a breakfast. Uh, we have it regularly, the Emancipation Day breakfast. For those of you that don't know about Emancipation Day, in the District of Columbia, it's our only holiday. It's the day that Abraham Lincoln bought 4,100 slaves and set them free nine months before the Emancipation Proclamation. It was kind of a PR move, I guess, and 
It's the only compensated emancipation in the history of America, probably in the history of the world. Uh, but um, anyway, we celebrate it every year and we have a breakfast and we use it. Excuse me to talk about statehood, of course, because many of us who don't have the same rights everybody else has feel that we're not yet emancipated. So we're all there and it's your typical, you know, breakfast. It's at the, it's at one of the nicest hotels in, in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, we all talk about how wonderful we are and, and, you know, and what great things we're doing. And we thank each other for our hard work and <laughs> we stand up and we beat our chest. And Dick Gregory gets up there. Um, you know, people like Joel Olstein are yes. talking about, you know, how the important work we're doing and how wonderful we are. And Gregory gets up there and goes, what the hell are we celebrating? He said, you got 100 people in a room and you're celebrating some sort of victory? He said, you don't have your basic civil rights and we're having a celebration? He said, you know, when 10,000 people show up for breakfast out on the mall to talk about this. He says, then you can have a celebration. Right now, this isn't a celebration. He goes, you can call it a party, but I wouldn't call it a celebration. That's 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 how he was. He didn't care about being on message He as much as he cared about telling the truth. You know? You know and so it was great that there was that many people there, right? But I feel the same way about female genital mutilation. The United Nations, every February 6th, holds an event called International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. This is the United Nations, a global organization. I've been the last three years. There's less than 100 people in the room at the events. Well, and, and that's... Yeah, I'm like, sorry, hello? Well, I mean, it's the same thing. If this is really that important, why aren't more people upset or active or engaged or involved right and and that's the the people at this thing are invited by the mayor primarily and are Uh, fed into a breakfast at at uh, the willard hotel so (laughs) you know it's really not like you know what i mean yeah we're not marching over the pettus bridge and we're not (laughs) you you know we're all sitting around eating uh, cold scrambled eggs and bacon uh, I, I actually got to sit next to Joel Olstein and his wife at that at that breakfast, and they were. Man, we should have him on the show. He's an amazing person, you know. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not big on televangelists, but but he he really is a dynamic person, and so is his wife. Uh, I guess that shouldn't surprise us because he's so popular. But um, you know, um, yeah, we do this all the time, and 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 Gregory's right. He's like, you know, what are you doing? Right. Uh, we just lost another activist. I got to talk about this, too, because she was very much like Dick. We lost a woman named Faith, uh, Faith uh, Dane, uh, Faith Dane uh, Kranich. And, and Faith, Faith's claim to fame was that she was a Broadway actress who starred in the uh, um, musical Gypsy. And she also starred with Natalie Wood in the movie. Uh, And in the movie, she plays a stripper named Mazeppa, who plays the trumpet. And she sings a song saying, you've got to have a gimmick. You know, and this is when Natalie Wood first comes to burlesque uh, and meets the strippers. This woman sings a song to her, you got to have a gimmick. You have, you know, one of them has a... A, a costume that lights up and the other one plays the trumpet and the other one dances on her hands or something. But That's whatever you gimmick. do, you've got, you got to have a gimmick. And you know what? It's something that she carried through in politics in D.C. She got involved in politics in D.C. And she was the gimmick. Much like Gregory, she used her talent to get your attention. Uh-huh. And people used to laugh at her. She ran for mayor six times. And the first time I ever saw her, Maria was at a debate and they asked the sitting mayor a question about education and he spewed out a long answer with all sorts of data points and, you know, and, and, and dialogue about 
percentages of this and how much this had happened and that had happened. And then they went on to the next person and they had a equally long explanation with a lot of data points and, and you know, other things. And then they got to Faith and Faith stood up with her trumpet and went, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum, ba, bum. you got to take care of the babies, baby. And she sat down and everybody laughed. But when I left, you know what I thought? It's uh, exactly right. They're talking about all these numbers and how much has been put into this and how much program is that and how reading has gone from, you know, a third grade level average to fourth grade level. And But nobody's saying, hey, this is a priority. You got to take care of the babies. And that's uh, that's who she was. And And, you know, much like Gregory. And I got to tell you, the last time not the last time I saw her, but one of the last times. She, Maria, was 89 years old. She was on a horse by herself. Oh, my no, gosh. No, like no handlers or anything, just riding down the street on this big old horse and uh, in a halter top. Uh. And, and, and I walked up to her, I had a T-shirt on that said statehood on it. You know, she always gave me a hard time. Like, what are you doing? What are you, where are you going? Have you been over? Did you tie yourself to the flagpole in front of the White House? What are you doing? Yes, you know, yes. so I, I held my T-shirt out and I said, Faith, I have statehood in my heart. And she looked down <laughs> from the horse and said, great. Now get your head out of your ass and do something about oh, it. Oh, you're kidding. No. And that's, that's who she was. And we loved her. And, and she was absolutely, um, she was an amazing person. And, uh, you know, she, uh, we just had a memorial service for her last Sunday. How was so that? It was a bunch of people showed up. They had, you know, they had music and dancing and she would have approved because okay. that's what she was about. She thought that art could be a great motivator to, change the world and i agree with her i think it can be all, all sorts of art music music is a universal language right and and it's funny to me it's always amazed me that the first thing we cut in education programs are things like art and music right. like anybody remembers the ancient greeks or the ancient romans for you know what do we remember civilizations for their art their culture their music those are the things that we remember as most important, yet those are the things we're willing to cut because education has become job training instead of education, right. you know, <laughs> right? Let's send the people in the world educated. I say things to kids that I can't believe they don't understand sometimes what I'm talking about, you know, that some of the some of the most basic things, things that you would have to pass to to, you know, questions you'd have to answer to become a citizen, you know, who the first president was, what the Constitution means, what, you know, and they don't know these things. Right. And it is interesting about that. I do think we take that for granted. And I love it when you speak with immigrants who have become citizens and their passion, it moves them to tears to talk yeah. about being an American yeah. and how they don't take it for granted. And this was a decision and it was a choice and that they're honored. And And I'm thinking, wow, we need more of that, don't we? <laughs> well, that's one thing. Look, this is something liberals don't get. OK, you know. There's two things they don't get. And the first thing they don't get, which I want to complain about this week, is that there are people, um, Donald Trump was wrong. There weren't good people on both sides in Charlottesville, but there were bad people on both sides. And there are bad people on both sides. The people that followed Christian cinema, who mm -hmm. I disliked, into the ladies' room into a stall were wrong in doing that. They're wrong. They were just as, they're no different than the people that screamed at the school board members for wanting kids to wear masks and said things like followed them out of the, the meeting and said things like, we know where you live and we're going to get you. Those people are on both sides. That's one thing that uh, liberals have to realize. And the other thing is we, we need to try to understand each other. You know, I don't care. I, I think you and I have talked about this before. You know, Colin Kaepernick wants to kneel down during the national anthem 
what you know that's that that may be fine i'm not sure exactly how i feel about that but but it is his right to for freedom of expression but i sure as hell understand why that pisses people off right and i don't know why we don't you, you know what i mean i i i i i understand that you know i do too I, 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 what I don't get is I, I think what happens, and this is a psychological thing, is that you think you're right. And so therefore you want to find more people who think like you. And it's called confirmation bias so that you look for the information that you yeah. already know that validates, that makes you look smart, that makes everybody else look like a fool. And I have a family member that um, she's not vaccinated and she's in her late 30s and she's pregnant and she doesn't wear a mask and she, her fiance is also not vaccinated and she calls us sheeple i don't yeah. know if you've heard that word but we're sheep or people or people who are sheep and it's you know and i'm looking at her and i'm like this is a global pandemic 700,000 americans have died i mean i get conspiracy theories cuz those are fringe but this not this one and it, it, I mean, fortunately, we can have a conversation about it, although she tends to get hot-headed and wants to leave the room. And I'm like, let's just talk about the facts, you know, not about the emotions. But most people, I don't think, want to associate with others that don't think like them. And I've always thrived on diversity. I know what I know. I want to know what you know. I want to know what they know. I want to know what their life was like. I know. I want to know why they have their opinion. And she's a college-educated young woman. So we're not talking ignorant here, but it's right in my own family. So I, I see it regularly. And it's, it is kind of scary because there doesn't seem to be much sense in it. Well, I think that people don't look for the truth. I think you're right. I think they look and it doesn't take much, right? All, Correct. It, takes, all, all it takes is for uh, 20 million people to be vaccinated and to have one pregnant woman have a bad outcome, and that's the one thing she'll remember, right. and that's the one thing she'll argue, and right. that's the you know, uh, um, yeah, and and um, well, and there's still we what thirty some percent of us that aren't vaccinated, right? Uh, right. That's a lot of people, right? Right, and, and places where it doesn't even make sense, you know, they're fighting, they're fighting vaccinations. For kids going to school, my kids were pin cushions. I don't right. know about your kids, but yep. they had HPP, MIT, and <laughs> they were vaccinated against everything. Yep. And we had to show those vaccination records to get them into school every year. Correct. Every year, if there was a new requirement, we had to reapply to school every year, public school. And we had to show whatever evidence they needed to show. In fact, our pediatrician's office, they had a big sign up that it costs you X amount of dollars, like $10, to have them fill out your kid's to health update. Uh -huh. yeah, uh, form and sign off on it. So, you know, even places where it doesn't make sense or, uh, you know, that, that um you know, it's just crazy. It's crazy. But we have to realize that that's, that's people. I mean, I say the good news and bad news to, about democracy is the same news, and that is it represents the people. Right. Uh, this is who we are, man, and we got to take a long, hard look at it. You know, we're, uh, we're having a fight now in Washington right now. Because Washington has a law against ghost guns. And ghost guns, several of them have been used in murders over the weekend. And ghost guns are guns that you can build at home with polymer pieces that you can order on the Internet. But they carry no serial numbers or any, identif any identifying marks. So you can uh, understand why people that are up to no good like these weapons, right? And right. and. Uh, uh, there's now a lawsuit uh, to make it legal to have ghost guns in the District of Columbia. Um, now, is that legislation or it's challenging the law? It's, or, no, it's challenging the law that says well, we we can't have them because your right to 
bear arms is infringed if you can't have a gun that can't be traced. Uh, which I don't, I don't get. Yeah. And, and, you know, these are guns that can't be detected by metal detectors. They're very popular. Uh, every DC cop carries one. Really? But, yeah. But, but they have serial numbers on them. Of course their Glock is the most popular type of, of polymer gun. They're much lighter than regular guns. And, and, uh, but they hold up just like a regular gun. So a lot of police departments and military people use them. Of course, when they're made by Glock, they have a serial number and other, you know, other identifying marks on them. When you build them at home and you buy them on the internet, pieces on the internet, they don't have any marks on them. So anyway, that's the that's kind of the basis of the lawsuit. And and you know, we don't have enough guns on the street. We don't have enough. I mean, we have so many people dying in Washington, D.C. from four people over the weekend. Um, And we're not a very big town. No, you're Uh, not. But, um, you know, this is, uh, um, these are the kind of battles we're having because people won't stand up and talk to each other. Nobody, look, you and I have said a hundred times, I don't want to take any hunter's gun. I don't want to take any gun from any person that's reasonably sane and wants to keep it for protection. I just want to get them out of the hands of kids, gangbangers, and crazy people. Right. And, and I don't understand why every American doesn't want to do that. But, you know, there's this fear, again, that if you make one gun law, all the guns are going to go. And, and you know, it, I understand guns. Um I was a kid, I was an orphan uh, that lived on, you know, hung out on the streets, and I carried a gun as a young man, and I understand that it gave me a false sense of empowerment, and I understand that people feel empowered by them. Now, there are You know, you really... It's different. I mean, the life that you describe and the life you live are diametrically opposed, except for your early life with your grandmother and your parents when they were around and your sister, your older sister, who who took care of you emotionally and financially and, and also spiritually, it sounds like. And yet and still then you become this thug and then tell our listeners about your trip across our nation, right? Yeah, jumped in a car and didn't have an agenda or an itinerary and not much money and long hair. And you were what, 18, 19, 18, 18. Yeah. 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 I mean, who does that? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you you know what? In those days, you know, it was kind of a cool thing to go out and find yourself. And and little did I know that I was being tricked into a better life by my older sister because I came up with this as a hair ring idea, one of my many harebrained ideas. I think I was originally going to go on my 1952 Harley Davidson, which she should have let me take because I'd still <laughs> be trying to get out of Maryland. It never went more than five miles without breaking down. But she helped me get a car. She helped me. She was all for it. She said, oh, it's a wonderful idea. And you know how you can save money? You can stay at college campuses. Because I went to school in White Bread, Montgomery County. So a lot of the kids I knew from high school went out of college. And she said, get your high school yearbook and find out where they're going to school. And I did. And I stayed at the University of Miami. I stayed at the University of Utah. I stayed at the University. Of, I stayed at the University of Tulsa. I stayed at UCLA. I stayed at a bunch of colleges because it would save me money to sleep on in in dorm rooms with friends. And when I got back, all I wanted to do was go to college. I didn't understand that that was the you know. The, the diabolical the subtle book. message <laughs> yeah that that you know but yeah and and you know i we were just talking to a neighbor the other day about one of her kids and and how he's he's kind of he has a few issues and he's struggling in school and he doesn't you know this and you know she's not sure where he's going to go with this uh he's in college right now and i said you know what i gotta tell you why i went to college i don't know you know, I, I was a ditch digger. I was literally digging ditches. And I went to college 
not only because my pet, my family expected it of me, but also because it was the easiest damn thing I could do. <laughs> it was a lot easier going to college than it was digging, digging ditches. <laughs> yeah, and I told her, I said, you know, I saw a bunch of 50-year-old guys digging ditches, and I was in my 20s, and I said to myself, you know what? I bet when they were 21, they didn't think they'd be digging ditches at 50 years old. So. Mm-hmm. It was a great motivator, but yeah, you know, I, yeah, you know, I had, I had a wild, I had a wild ride. I really did as a kid. And How did that help you or with, with your son, Nicholas, I would imagine he could say to you, well, who are you, dad? Look at what you did. Like, don't tell me, I don't need no curfew or whatever, because uh, you turned I, out. Okay. Look at you. I follow the age-old principle of <laughs> Don't do as I do. <laughs> I lie to them. I lie to them. I say to them, to them, I say, I was a safety patrol and a Boy Scout and, and, and you know, an altar boy. And I never told a lie and I never did anything wrong. And I, you know, um, but yeah, uh, uh, Nicholas was having a hard time at school one time. And he, he brought that up. He's, his mother was the valedictorian of her high school. And I was yelling at him. And in, 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 uh, uh, I said to him, you know, your mother was a damn valedictorian of her high school, Nick, because she was really upset about some bad grade or something. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, and you were the worst guy in your high school. So I'm where, <laughs> somewhere in the middle you now. And you had to say, touche, okay. I mean, <laughs> no. I would imagine that would be difficult. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, there's an old saying that God takes care of children and fools. And, you know, I'm a walking, talking, living example of that. Because I got into so many things that I skated by, um, you know. That, by the that, grace of God. Yeah, by the grace of God. In the yeah. wrong place at the wrong time where people um, let me slide because I was a kid. Or they took care of me because I was a kid. Or they were cops that took me home because they knew I wasn't out to hurt anybody but myself. Uh, you know, things that you can't get away with today. I lived in a different time and, and people were much more considerate of me. And I was white and I lived in a white suburb. I, I, I had, to, you know, I think that 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 God talks to all of us. And, and the key is that we have to learn how to listen. And part of, of what we get from from that is that we have to learn by our experience, you know, and 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 you experience certain things, I think, on purpose. And I used to go back to North New Jersey all the time to visit my grandmother when I was in high school and stuff. And I realized, you know, I wouldn't be alive today if my parents hadn't moved from inner city North New Jersey to white suburban Maryland before they passed. You know, I would have never gotten away with the crap that I got away with in Montgomery County. I would have never gotten away with that in Newark, because in Newark they played for keeps. You know, uh-huh. yeah. I had a friend that was tossed off the roof of a building, and nobody knows why. You know, he owed somebody some money, or oh said my wrong, goodness, said the wrong thing to the wrong person. Yeah, I used to go there. I used to see this, and 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 I tried to learn from it. Uh, that we had a little old guy that walked in the halls of our school. And if you were out without a pass and he caught you, he would write you up. He was like the security guy. But if you gave him some sob story and said, you know, I was just going to my locker because I thought I forgot my homework or something, he'd let you slide, right? Right. So I'd go to Newark to visit my friends. And there were armed National Guardsmen walking through the halls because really? of the race riots. Yeah, because of the race riots at the high school. Oh, my so, goodness. You know, I would say, yeah, this is a long way from where I am. <laughs> yeah. Is- well, my dad was a, a kind of a gangster, too, in Chicago, but he was a Golden Glove boxer. So I think that is what got him keeping out of trouble because obviously he had to train and go to high school and he had a job and 
all of that stuff. But he talks about putting a roll of nickels in his hand when he would go and in, get into a bar fight so that the, it was one and done with the punch and stuff like that. And yeah. Running red lights and paying off the cop, you yeah. know, to not write him a ticket. We grew up with that. But since we lived in the suburbs, we didn't know what city living was like. He, he lived in a basement apartment. All you could see was the ankles of the people on the sidewalk outside of where they lived. And so none of us wanted to emulate that at all because that, that didn't sound like that had a lot of good rewards. <laughs> well, that life. was, you know, my dad too. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I am uh, hooked on mafia movies because the mafia ran my neighborhood where I grew up when my parents were kids, not when I was a kid, but when my parents were kids. Mm-hmm. So it always great stories. And, you know, my Uncle Ralph, they used to just have fights for my Uncle Ralph. They were just like somebody would say that they were a badass or something, and they would say, "Okay, we'll come fight, we'll come fight Ralph and and Ralph Brown," and and they would they would set up fights for him. Just so he didn't even know the people. They would just really, say, you know, yeah. So uh, we have a caller, uh, Lynn. Let's say hello to Lynn since we don't have a guest tonight, and have her on and see what she wants to say. Lynn, are sure. you there? Yes, hello. Um, gosh, I have some information. I'm trying to figure out how to get uh, the Quakers um, legis- and get some legislation written up um, for the Quakers for alternative healing centers. And there's like Body, Mind, Spirit, BMSE.net. They had about a billion worldwide, maybe more, uh, tied to uh, love, peace, and harmony.org. This is before 9-11 was happening. Um, and then um, the legislative group would be with the um, community heart and soul, um, dot org. So that's communityheartandsoul.org. Uh, the new cities in conjunction, I guess, with uh, the next cities group.org, uh, transitionus.org, and um, harmony. Uh, and then there's humanitiesteam.org working on it, the shift network also. And then um, uh, how do we audit the Pentagon and the Vatican? Um, the Veterans for Peace uh, would, you know, like to when, you know, we're trying to figure this out to get, you know, it's money changer time again. And then codepink.org too. And then there's a capital U, capital N, capital A, capital C dot group, and it's United and United National Anti-War Coalition is just massive, and then the World Parliament of Religions. But the Quakers are ready to go. If you look at their um, the FCNL.org, it's the Friends Committee on National Legislation. They can help this happen, but it's going to take the alternative healers. Like on LinkedIn.com, there's literally thousands of light workers, heaven to earth groups, uh, scientists, Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Emoto. I mean, information that big pharma and the militarism that's on the dark evil, they've just squelched everything. Anyway. Um, well, I, uh, I can tell you, oh, Lynn, that, that the Pentagon is, is regularly monitored by the GAO, so they get audited all the time. As far as the Vatican goes, they're a private organization. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, you know, there is certainly the... Uh, Catholic Church, Marie and I can both tell you this, is very bureaucratic. So I'm sure there are, are many uh, people involved in the uh, Catholic Church. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and keeping an eye on things. But uh, I don't know exactly how you do that. Did it, um, you know, as far as legislation goes, it's not a it's not a difficult thing. Uh, you need to get a United States uh member of Congress to support the idea of putting together legislation and 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 moving it uh, through the House of Representatives and then the Senate. But uh, to do that, you need to put pressure on, on people to do that. Yeah. Okay, Mike, how do you get, and, and Maria, um, with media uh, propaganda, really the simplicity is all humans, we didn't know all this. Maybe that's all the big forgiveness, but all humans have the same basic needs. We didn't know that. Same basic emotions. We really didn't know that one. And then we have this other big discovery on the planet that any, all the answers are within. 
we can Google it. Our kids can help set up these cities of enlightenment, peace, uh, the Tao, like this lovepeaceandharmony.org with all the Body, Mind, Spirit Expo, those old uh, projects and programs. And they're on LinkedIn and they're on Skype. And the other one is Oneness for Freedom, massive groups, beautiful, beautiful evolving consciousness groups at the soul level. So community, heart, and soul, you go to soul purpose, you go beyond race, religion, gender, and all politics right away, like bam. So everybody well, you know, that you've answered your own question. That's the beauty of it is that you do have social media out there right. that you can connect people to. And, and, that, and that doesn't cost. And that doesn't cost. And, and you connect enough people, you start a movement. Well, thanks That's for right. calling in. Like, we yeah. appreciate Thank the comments. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell, give us an update about statehood? Where's, where's it at with the legislation? Well, you know what? Uh, it's where it's been, stuck in between a rock and a hard place. It passed in the House of Representatives, and now it's in the Senate. But uh, we, don't have, we don't have two of the Democrats, um, uh, uh, Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin. Manchin. Mm-hmm. They're not on the bill. But here's the road to statehood. It's very, very clear. Excuse me, but not so easy to get to. We need to get Manchin and Cinema, and and actually Angus King, who's an independent, but who has supported statehood in the past. Pretty sure we can get him. We need to get them on them on the bill. And then we have 50 votes on the bill. Then we have to uh, suspend the filibuster because right now we need 60 votes to pass legislation in the Senate. Oh but but every single state has been entered into the union by simple majority. One by only, some by only one or two votes, and some by only you know 20, 20 some votes because uh, that's how many states there were at the time. So. We should be able to suspend the rule. I think we have a strong argument to suspend the rule. And if we can, and we can get those people on the bill, then we have 50 votes. And if 50 Republicans stand up against us, we also have the vice president who Uh can pass the The deciding vote. vote. And wouldn't that be beautiful to have a Howard alumnus? Wouldn't that be something? Which, yeah. by the way, Dr. Williams is a Howard Law graduate. I'm sure yeah. you knew that. And, and, yeah. yeah, and so is our vice president. So, right. uh, you know, uh, wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be just poetic to have her be the person to cast the, the final vote? But, but Manchin has come out against it, has he not, already? Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of lobbying can be done there? Well, he's our neighbor. So why can't, so, you know, driving from Washington, D.C. to West Virginia is like driving probably a shorter distance than from San Diego to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is we need to get a bunch of people to go over to West Virginia and fight with him on his own turf. (laughs) But respectfully so and not invasively so. Yeah, not follow him into the bathroom. You know, they did that last week. They surrounded his boat. He lives on a boat in the marina. I saw the footage. Yeah. I didn't realize he lived there. Yeah, several of them do. There's okay. uh, there's uh, Nadler from New York. Uh, Congressman Nadler is another person that has a big boat in the marina. You know, uh, I guess they, they, have, they have him for a quick getaway. I don't know why you'd have a – he's got a yacht. I don't know why you'd have a yacht in West Virginia. Because I, I don't know of any major bodies of water. I mean, there are some lakes, I'm sure. But uh, but anyway, uh, you know, he, he's got a yacht and he lives on it. And, and uh, uh, yeah, they, they um, but that's what we need to do. We need to remind them that they're Democrats, damn it. You know, and we need to remind America, we don't put any money into this. You know, if you believe in a woman's right to choose, the best thing you can do to keep the people of Texas at bay is to put two more liberal United States senators, Democrats, in the Senate. That will help you. 
It will help in every progressive program. The District of Columbia is very progressive. And you can bet that the people they elect to have those first Senate seats will also be very progressive. And so, the, you know, we we have strong gun legislation. We do believe in a white woman's right to choose. We have legalized marijuana. We do have uh, same-sex marriage. We have, you know, and so if you're a progressive out there and you care about the progressive agenda, do, excuse me, do yourself a favor. Help the District of Columbia become a state and you will get two more advocates. You know, if we had two more Democratic senators in the United States Senate right now, we wouldn't have to worry so much about cinema and, and mansion. Uh-huh. You know, they're only mansion is does what he does because he gets to clog up the works and because he's he's you know he's front page news now because of yeah. that. All the time. All the time. It's so yeah. interesting to me. In West Virginia, what a powerhouse. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like but really right. There, and there's always somebody like him, right? When 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 our football team, who got their rear ends kicked today, uh, uh, wanted to change their racist name, the Redskins, you know what they used to do? They used to bring Indians, Native Americans, who would stand up and say, "I'm not, I'm not uh, offended by the name," and that may be true. But there were a lot of Native Americans that were offended by the name. You know, there's always one person that the opposition can hold up as an example that, you know, what we were talking about, confirmation bias before. And that guy for conservatives these days is Joe Manchin. They call him a moderate Democrat. I'm like, what? A moderate Democrat? No, he may be a moderate Republican, but he's certainly not a, a moderate. He's not Joe Biden. He's not, you know, Nancy Pelosi. He's not, you know, he, he's, he's, yeah, he just, he loves being the center of attention. And Christian cinema goes along with him. And I think he's the key. I think that cinema would not stand out there by herself. I think it weren't for him. If we could get him, I think cinema would fall in line as well. I think you're right. It would. So. Um, Maria, are you still there? I am. Oh, okay. I thought I lost okay. you for a second. Me too. I, I said, oh. yes, it would be very interesting to see how that would fall out or fall through or down or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we can get him, I, think I mean, got we're working on it. Good. Good. All right, folks. Well, you didn't give the news about the radio program. I'm sorry? You didn't give the news about the radio program. I didn't talk about WEAC Radio. We're going to be on WEAC Radio starting November 1st. It's a local station that's on the net, so it's all over. Uh, It's also AMFM Radio. And they're going to pick up the show starting November 1st, and it'll be on Mondays. We don't have a time slot yet, but we'll get back to you with that. And we're very excited about it. Um, You know, um, so we hope you'll listen on Sundays. And if you can't, we hope you'll listen on Mondays. Exactly. uh, We hope to continue to get good guests on the show. And thanks, Maria, for all your hard work. And, you know, you've made the show so much better. And it's been so great, Michael, and it's six years now. Six this month is that unbelievable? Yeah, yeah. And we've been on the <laughs> we've been on the air eight years in April. Wow! So, wow! So nice. It's a long, it's a long haul, but we're you know we're doing well, and we're gonna you know we're gonna keep on spreading Branching the news. out, yeah, yeah. Nice. Very and we're nice. gonna leave you with the song tonight. Uh, this is for Dick Gregory. You know, his birthday is in two days. Let's say the 10th, his birthday is the 12th of October. So this goes out to you, Dick. Uh, Here's the Morehouse College Choir with We Shall Overcome. And we'll see you next week.